Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. That's. Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Now you can laugh. I'm the up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Thanks very much for joining us on the Irish Times World Cup podcast after one of the great World Cup final goals last night scored by one of those amazing German players who you just completely forget about over the course of the tournament. At least mm. I did. But didn't Gutzik get injured? Isn't he suspended or something? Yeah, no, there he is, winning the World Cup for his country. Yeah, no, no, he's he's definitely still there. Yeah, he's and you know what? He's in some ways you could say he made his mark. He did. Uh, you know, on the tournament last night, not that many brilliant World Cup final goals, really, when you think about it. I'm trying to think of a really, really top. I mean, Jeff Hurst's hat trick goal. In 1960, 1960, you're just a, a sucker ball. for a ball that goes in off the bar, though. Yeah, that is true. That's one hundred. That is one thing you know about me. Yeah, James Rodriguez, for instance. I mean, that's had to be my go- you, my yeah. goal. Just Tim Cahill joined first. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, very good. Um, but I'm tr- I'm trying to think. Other than that, of really, re- I mean, neither of Zidane's goals. Petty's goal was pretty good, I suppose. Well, ninety eight. Well, I was trying to think mm. where I would rate this goal over the course of the tournament. Was I just blown away by it because it was a World Cup final winner or was it a brilliant goal? I think it was just a brilliant goal because the run by Shirley was incredible. He managed to drag... Actually, he managed to drag three players across, really. Mm. I think think it was Mascarano and uh, Zabaleta... Who, well, Mascarano was tracking him, so that's fair enough. But then Zabaleta had to try to cover from right back, which meant Dimitrios had to come over and try to cover Zabaleta. And suddenly, out of there was no situation; it didn't look like a dangerous situation. And suddenly, one burst of energy at that stage releases the space for a goal. It's a perfect cross, perfect control. Yeah, the pass is brilliant. Great as well. finish. I, I, I saw. It might have been Ken. I definitely saw some people saying that maybe the keeper could have done a little bit better. I didn't think so. I thought it was a good finish from close range. That maybe the keeper was too... Co- you know the way goalkeepers just, I'm not getting beaten on my near post, yeah. <laughs> no matter what. But sometimes it means they stand a little bit too Pretty far Pretty scant consolation to Sergio Romero <laughs> that his near post is... Uh, Still intact there. Untarnished last yeah. night, I would, I, I would have thought. So not the player, Murph, that most people wanted to score the winner. Maybe not... Sorry, that's not fair. I just mean that... Leo Messi is the mm. guy that most people wanted, but at least it was a type of goal that most of us wanted to see. Let's get over to Ken Early. The man has a flight to catch for crying out loud. Yeah, you can laugh. That was the World Cup. For the final time in World Cup 2014, how are you, Ken? Well, it's pretty early here, Owen. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. And I don't know if I was watching the same match as you guys. I said, are we sure we watched the same match? Go on. We're, to we're talking about the same Mario Guts goal, right? Yeah. Come on. I mean, the goalkeeper was not standing in the goal. Martin Dimichaelis, I'm not quite sure what he was doing. Well, Martin Dimichaelis is, went so far missing that neither of you even noticed him on the footage being absolutely nowhere close to the only German player, the only German player who was given a chance of scoring, who Sterling might be able to pass the ball to. What are you doing to Michaelis? <sighs> At the last minute, it, well, not the last minute, but it seemed like the last minute. It's the other way a goal goes in in a, in a minute like that. And, um, you know, the next 10 minutes of, of time that they played just seemed like 30 seconds. Mm. Uh, that's pretty much what happened last night. I mean, I don't mean to sound disappointed here, that Germany won the World Cup and Argentina didn't. I'm delighted for uh, my German brothers. I share uh, the delight of John Delaney, the chief executive of the FAI, Go on. that a European team has won the World Cup. I don't know if you saw him do that interview earlier on the tournament, don't? No. I hope a European team wins this tournament, he said, standing on Copacabana. It would be great for the Confederation to see a European team win this tournament. And indeed, so it has happened. It's a great day for Europe, a great day for UEFA, because our German brothers have managed to uh, conquer South America for a second time. Yeah, I did. I did actually mention Di Michaelis there, Ken. I did say that he got dragged out of position, but maybe it's more accurate to say he dragged himself out of position because the the okay, Mascarano was caught a little bit at that stage, probably a bit tired from doing so much work for everybody else in the team. Zabaleta was the guy who then covered. And maybe Di Michaelis should have realised that two men was probably enough to stop the cross, and he 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 should have not been caught in no man's land and gone after the guy who was about to run in and score the winner. Yeah, I mean it was you know only Andre Shirley. Um Surely one man was enough. <laughs> Surely he should have backed uh, his teammate Zabaleta or whoever the guy was immediately on on Shirley to uh, to try and to slow down. I mean Andre Shirley, wonderful player has had a very, very good World Cup, but um, I'm sorry, and I don't know if you thought maybe a gunshot went off in the background there. It was just a firecracker, because you can still hear these Germans outside. Do you want to hear what a bunch of Germans who've just won the World Cup sound like? Yeah, yeah, why not? Well, hang on, I'm going to open my sliding door here. <laughs> now, I don't know if you can hear that. Oh, yeah, that's a hubbub. It's just hubbub, though. There's no, still no singing. There, I mean, there. they're 14 floors down, I've got to remind you, so that's... Quite a lot of Germans out there. So I'm going to close the door on because, I mean, it's, you know, spectacular as I'm sure that sound is, is to you. It's uh, the faint hum of um, <laughs> people drinking in the street 14 floors down. That's some uh, late that's night party been going on all night. Now, it was yeah, we're very much night. into the early morning at this stage. I mean, we're, we're heading towards dawn and those German fans show no signs of leaving. It's 4.37 a.m., Owen. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to say, though, that's a fairly normal kind of crowd for the part of... Uh, Rio that I'm in for this time of day, 4.37 a.m. on Monday morning. Um, it's, uh, it's a place uh, in Rio called Lapa, and it seems to be the place where a lot of people like to go boozing. Um, the interesting thing about tonight, um, I suppose, I mean, I went to sleep to the sound of the Deutschland choir, uh, and they sing... Deutschland, 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 and sometimes they sing... Uh, super Deutschland, Super Deutschland, Super Deutschland, eh, oh, eh, oh, eh. and they sing. so they're basically the two songs, and they they go, you know. Now the Argentinian choir uh, made no appearance 
in the, in these last few hours. They were there the previous two nights, and uh, and I haven't actually heard their song all night. <laughs> I was actually getting a little bit sick of their song. Would you believe? I woke up on the uh, the morning of the World Cup final, which I th think is yesterday. It's when I'm, I'm in that kind of confused state. I'm not sure what the, it was yesterday, right? Sure. Yeah. And uh, I woke up at about six o'clock in the morning to hear what sounded like fifty thousand Argentinians on the street uh, with, I would guess, a battery of about eight hundred big drums singing that song about Brazil and what it felt like to have these people or the Argentinians, their daddy, in their house. And I can tell you, Alan, that I, don't, I wouldn't imagine too many. I felt empathy with my Brazilian brothers and sisters at that time. I thought, you know, these Argentinians are maybe pushing their welcome a little bit. Have they not seen what time it is? Uh, you know, while that's a great sound to wake up to, this is getting a little bit, this is just all getting a little bit too much. This has been going on for 36 hours now. When are they going to stop? The answer, Owen, was with the final whistle uh, on that day. The Argentinians slunk away. There was not a peep out of them after that. I did not see a single Argentinian singing a, singing a single song after that. That's when the Germans began to sing, because I hadn't heard any Germans singing in the lead up to the final. I hadn't heard them singing the night before the final. I don't even know if they went out drinking the night before the final. They were there in the stadium, and I heard them sing the stadium, and I've heard them sing all night. And maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe you're supposed to leave your singing until you know you've won the match. But then again, if the Argentinians had done that, they wouldn't have got to sing at all. So maybe they were wise to go out there and do it all before the game, which they then lost. And then they felt too disappointed to sing. But it didn't matter because, and probably they felt pretty hungover as well. And it was a bad combination of feelings for them. But at least they'd had a bloody good time over the previous 48 hours or so. Ken, if you happen to bump into John Delaney on your flight home or anything like that, do tell him there's another piece of great news for the continent of Europe. Well, which is? Colin Montgomery has finally won. His major, Ken, the U.S. Senior Open, he won after a playoff. I mean, it's just all coming up Europe this morning. It's incredible stuff. It was literally the only time that we ever describe ourselves as Europeans. Unless we're John Delaney. Well, yeah, Colin Montgomery, everybody's favourite European. During, during the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Well, uh, I have talked to Beethoven's, um, this Beethoven's uh, Ninth Symphony playing in my heart right now. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing to think of that. I mean, our, our great continent, it's, it's knobbly coastline. It's westerly winds, it's cool, refreshing showers, it's green hills, it's rolling plains, it's uh, snowy peaks. steeples in the morning mist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's, I mean, it's brutal history of warfare and yeah. its lack of trade barriers. <laughs> Back to I the World Cup final, perhaps? No, I don't really, I don't know. I can't think of anything else. No, that's quite a lot. That's quite a lot of inspiration. We all feel the same about... about Mother Europa. What do you feel about Germany, Ken? That small country within this great continent of ours. Great and, and, Europe. Oh, yeah, and the bit that they've done here. But are you happy for the team? I mean, they're that they were pretty worthy winners, I guess, overall, weren't they? Das team, Owen. It's ein wunderbares team. They are. Uh, they really show us all, all how to do it. They are an example to the not just to Europe but to the world of how to do things right, how to sit down, work out how you're going to do things, and then do those things uh, and get them right. And sure, they got to final, they got to semifinal and a final, then they got to another semifinal, then another semifinal. 
And they kept losing, but they kept resisting as well. And then when they got to that uh, final last night, they've, they've done it. And they were definitely the best team in the tournament. There can be no doubt about it. And they had the best squad in the tournament. And look, a guy who's done nothing all tournament apart from accidentally score a goal off his face um, arrives in to score to be the Iniesta of, of this year. I mean, it's like Goetze had... It was almost... If I'm honest, I felt a twinge of disappointment that Mario Goetze was the man who had done it because he had so little to do with either of the teams that were out there fighting for the World Cup. He'd done so little to be there apart from be born in beautiful Bavaria 20-odd years ago. 20 years ago, is he only 20? Uh, maybe he's he must be a little older than that now. He's been around a couple of seasons at this stage. But, um, yeah, I mean, a, a frighteningly good player. I mean, one of these generation of frighteningly, frighteningly accomplished uh, German players. I mean, the German Neymars, Marco Royce, he never even made it here. You know, he busted his ankle ligaments before the tournament. So I feel a little bit sorry for him, I suppose. He might have been a big player here. But, you know, they could lose a player like that and, and keep going. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan, the, the uh, midfielder from Dortmund, he probably would have played in the final last night if he hadn't been injured. Uh, and, in fact, Kadira, who had come in for him, was injured just before the final. And they brought in Kramer, who ended up getting completely leveled by Ezekiel Garay. And they played him for another 15 minutes, even though he was practically unconscious, until he collapsed. Yeah. So even Germany's squad depth was being a little bit tested. But, you know, it's just a sort of, um, uh, you know, it's confident. I mean, <laughs> imagine playing a guy, a 23-year-old. I think it was his first competitive start. Giving him his first competitive start in the World Cup final is insane. But that's the kind of faith um, that Joachim Löw now has in these uh, in these young German players. And, in, you know, a lot is going to be said about it. You're going to hear a lot about this over the next uh, few days. You know, the fact that, German, it's a planned world, it's sort of the first, you know, like a planned pregnancy? This is like a planned World Cup win. I mean, is this the first time a country's done it? Maybe France in 98. Uh, but I don't know if it was as thoroughly planned and as meticulously organized as this German World Cup win. Um, whether it's a, an example for the rest of the world, I mean, it is in, in some ways, although it's not necessarily the kind of thing the rest of the world, I mean, other countries in the world could could achieve. Some of them maybe could emulate it a bit better than others. Some of them have got the kind of wealth that Germany has. Some of them have got the kind of um, football culture that Germany has. Um, and some of them have got the same centrally powerful football organization that Germany has, where they can, where essentially by decree of their football association, make all the clubs in their first and second division open these academies and make them have make them all to the same kind of standard. You know, make everyone basically do the same thing at the same time. That's not necessarily the case uh, in other countries. I mean, other countries may have some of the sort of German ingredients for success. You know, to which you also have to add the fact that it's a really rich country with a large population. So you've got you know you've got a, a pretty a good young population of strong young people who are just there to be uh, to be molded into a World Cup winning generation. Um, you know, Brazil, for instance, has got the football culture. Does it really have the money? Does it have the central organization? You know, can the CBF turn around and tell all the Brazilian clubs, all right, this is what you're going to do. This is how we're going to create a new generation of German-style Brazilian World Cup winners. I don't know if it can. You know, it's, it's, it will certainly be a lot more difficult in a country like Brazil than in Germany. Well, you know, Germany, the Germans can only uh, succeed with the country they've got. 
And by God, have they made a great job of it again, Owen. Yeah, uh, Christoph Kramer, you mentioned, he said afterwards, I can't remember very much, but that doesn't matter now. Um, well, yeah, unfortunately... What a, weird, what a weird evening he had. Yeah. I mean, it's, at some point he's there knocking around, and he probably, I don't know if his memory goes back to the point at which uh, Sammy Kadira uh, lost consciousness, or not lost consciousness, <laughs> got injured. It wasn't Sammy Kadira who lost consciousness. But here he is, um, having apparently made his competitive debut for Germany and won the World Cup. Yeah, it's a uh, bad, bad World Cup for concussions, though, and for FIFA's handling of concussions. I just hope they're looking forward to the massive lawsuit that's going to be coming down the tracks in a number of years. When I wonder, was, I wonder was Higuain concussed as well? No, he looked like he may well have been. He may well, well have I'd been. be amazed if he hadn't been, yeah. just by the just because of the force that Nora came through. I thought that was a foul, by the way. Yeah, I a, mean, but a lot of people are comparing it to Harold Schumacher. I don't, care, I don't yeah. care if Nora got the ball. You can't do that. Surely you can't do that to an opponent. A lot of people are comparing it to Schumacher again, which I think is a little bit of a stretch because I do do feel at least Neuer went for the ball. Well, that's true. Neuer went for the ball and I saw, I think it was was Ben Littleton pointed out, uh, I saw him point out, another difference is that Neuer went to see how Higuain was, which... Schumacher never did. I went Batsy maybe because he knew maybe because he felt the teeth break against the hip. I don't know. Um, I did think it was excessive force though. Um, maybe that kind of thing is okay. But but you know you know this whole thing with concussions. Now, the concussions thing. I know it's been a big deal in, in American football and, and certainly in rugby, and you can see why. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical about about it in uh, in football. You know, there has certainly there has been a bit of an issue. I mean, there was an issue with this repeated heading of the ball, mm. um, which is a slightly different thing uh, from concussion, I think. But I do wonder if possibly, and this is not, this is not something I ever would have expected. But we have seen all these moments in the World Cup. I mean, there was obviously Avro Pereira in the um, in the Uruguay England game. There was Mascherano, I think maybe was sparked out at one point. There was Kramer there last night, and and maybe Higuain too. Um, if we're getting to the point where the game is is getting so much faster and more athletic, that maybe these kind of things are beginning to happen a bit more often. For instance, goalkeepers just didn't used to do what Neuer did last night. Nobody did that. Unless they were trying to do deliberately what Schumacher did to Battiston or, or what Mark Bosnich once did to Jurgen Klinsmann. You know, that's, a goalkeeper simply would, wouldn't be found doing that kind of thing. Goalkeepers, you know... <laughs> <laughs> was there, an, there was an illustration of it in the, in the. I can't remember who was saying to me on it. May have been you, um, Neuer. You know, running from his goal uh, to to make a clearance and then running back. And and there's you know, look at really Ivan Drago about it while he's doing it. But uh, Julio Cesar at one point ran from his goal to make a clearance, and then for the next five minutes was there sort of hands on his knees. <sighs> <laughs> you know, uh, the, the the sprint had taken a hell of a lot out of Julio Cesar. That used to be all goalkeepers. And now you get these guys like Neuer who are coming out and going for the ball and will flatten a forward if he's there. And maybe then you've got the ingredients for, for more of these kind of collisions which, with which football hasn't historically yeah. been associated. No, and I mean, but you say it hasn't been historically associated. I mean, Jeff Astle... Um, that was heading the ball, though, wasn't that was, it? That yeah, 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 but, that, but that, they are concussive effects, and that ultimately led to, um, led to degenerative brain condition. He died, supposedly, the FA were, were I don't think, I think it's a bit different. Note. I mean, was, was anybody ever actually concussed from heading the ball as such, or is it, are we talking about a repeated head games. Of a repeated yeah. small impact? If you watch head games, though, that's the, they interview 
uh, an American, oh, sorry, uh, an American soccer player who played for um, the women's team many times. She had to, she largely because of heading the ball became concussed on a number of occasions, close to a hundred times, I think she said, and she ultimately had to retire. So it can do. I do take your point about the different, I mean, the much more obvious effects of what we saw uh, with Mascarano in particular and in this game uh, in the World Cup final. But the point is that the FIFA if they continue to ignore it, I mean, it doesn't seem to be an issue for them, which is dangerous because we've that's going to seep down to all levels. Nobody seems to see it as, certainly FIFA aren't doing anything that we can see to stamp it out. There are guidelines there. If somebody is suspected of being concussed, they're supposed to come off. But as long as that's left in the hands of essentially the team manager, then, you know, it doesn't look like it's uh, it's necessarily going to happen. And that just could lead to, well, it, it, it's, there are already issues because we see players who are clearly concussed staying on the field. So I do worry what's going to happen over the last few years, particularly as you talk about there with the more obvious concussions that we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, um, I mean, you, you do feel they, they they need to probably establish a rule on it. Um, I mean, there are recommendations. We, we saw an instance during the Premier League season where Andre Villas Boas, who you would have thought was probably the most up to date guy in this sort of sphere, he sent his concussed goalkeeper Hugo Lloris back on the field. Um, so maybe they do need to make a, a a more clear a clear condition that, you know, if concussion is detected in a player, that he can't be allowed to retake the field. Because it is dangerous for that player if he's concussed, if he if he was to get into second impact. I mean, Kramer last night was in such a state. I was amazed they let him continue. I suppose it showed you the desperation uh, of their situation, given that most of the players in that mid, in that in those I mean although in fairness they were able to handle it pretty well they just had put Schweinsteiger and Kroos back there and it wasn't exactly as though oh no Germany have no midfield Argentina running riot um, so yeah you know if there was a clear directive then maybe it simplifies things for everyone the manager isn't in this situation of oh he'd kill me if I took him off you know because uh, because Alvaro Pereira literally would have killed the, the manager you know you remember you remember that I remember it, yeah. Alvaro, yeah. When when he was when he was there's no there was no way he was coming off for that reason, um you know, you know that there would have been a big problem there if the manager had been able to say look my hands are tied you literally can't go back on, um I don't know it's yeah. it's it, it, the system definitely should be taking account of this it's 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 just it's a, at the moment it's a gap in in the in the regulation. Sid Lowe joins us now Sid to talk a little bit about the star man the person we hoped to be the star man were you disappointed for Leo Messi last night. Um, I don't know. Disappointed for him um, is is the right way of putting it. I suppose in a way there was there was a, a, a sense of this building towards being possibly his World Cup. I think there was inevitably a, an enormous amount of pressure on him because of that that consistent argument that that he needed a World Cup to match Maradona. Of course, what we don't really know is in Messi's mind whether he ever was as obsessed with him matching Maradona as the rest of us were, um, and, and whether that was really what drove him. But clearly winning the World Cup um, drove him, and I think we could see that in some of his performances over the season for Barcelona, that, that a lot of it was funneled in towards this World Cup. Um, and, and I suppose as well he would be entitled to look around him and think, my goodness, what what kind of team have I got here around me? Because I must admit, even last night when when um, uh, read quite a lot of criticism of him, which I, I personally think is, is is largely wrong. If you look at the, the few things that Argentina did last night, they nearly all came from Messi. The only person who threatened, I'm not, let's not say the best player on the pitch because I thought Mascherano was their best player, but the only person who threatened, who looked like creating anything, who looked like doing anything, from, at least from my point of view, was was Messi, uh, and I actually think he had a very, very, very good tournament indeed. Um, obviously, of course, one of the things about about Messi is that he set the bar so high that very, very good isn't really quite good enough. 
Uh, Sid, I remember a quote from uh, an Argentinian journalist or writer uh, before this World Cup saying, we all hope that he's um, been a lying son of a bitch and he's been cheating Barcelona all season and that he's been keeping something back for when he comes to the World Cup and, and he's going to show that essentially what he's been doing for Barcelona hasn't really been him. But actually, it turns out that Messi's been totally honest. It was exactly the same player um, turned up for Argentina here as was playing for Barcelona in the second half of the season. Is there something, do you think, you know, when you take into account things things like this vomiting thing, which is a persistent thing that's happening now, happened again in the final last night, that there's something not quite right with him physically, that this... Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think, you know, I mean, I think to some extent there, there was a certain degree of, of, of Argentinian hopes being fulfilled, wasn't there, in, the, in that you could see um, through the course of the season that there were certain decisions he made that had it not been a World Cup season, he might not have made. I think that, that real, and we've talked about this a lot, haven't we? That rehabilitation process, that idea of sending him back to Argentina around Christmas time, it felt like that was the kind of the decision that if there hadn't been a World Cup waiting at the end of the year, he wouldn't have taken. It felt like at times that perhaps he wasn't um, wasn't maybe it's not. I wouldn't go so far as to say wasn't making the effort for Barcelona because I think he was, but perhaps wasn't pushing himself or wasn't running risks for Barcelona because he was aware that this huge um, occasion was at the end of it, and probably the one really big World Cup that could be his because the next one he may well still be a, a, a fantastically good player, but he will be 31, so he's likely to be a different type of player. But I agree with you that a lot of what we saw. Uh, of Messi at this World Cup that was problematic was similar to the problems that we've seen at Barcelona. A player who doesn't seem quite so explosive, a player who's um, who's running at people and his his involvement in the game seems to be. And I, I appreciate this is this probably doesn't um, re- make as much sense in English as it does in Spanish. Seemed to be dosified, as the Spanish always talk about do- dosificando, and it seemed like he was kind of choosing his moments, perhaps not so much because he didn't fancy. Um, playing all the way through the 90 minutes, but because he wasn't aware of that. Physically, there are some doubts there, aren't there? And and, and, I, and I think he does seem to, to, to lack some of the physical presence that, that he's had um, in, in previous years. I do think, and this is, again, something that, that we've come back to lots and lots of times, not least because of that inevitable, and I must admit, at times, I think, quite tedious comparison between him and Cristiano Ronaldo, but it's worthwhile in terms of making this point, which is that we talked a lot about what will Messi be when he's not physically uh, in really great shape. He will still be a very good player because his touch is brilliant, his passing is brilliant, his vision is brilliant, something which we don't yet know will, what will happen with Cristiano Ronaldo because he's such a brilliant athlete. Um, and, and yet, actually, what we've sort of seen, I think, is that Messi will still be a very, very good player, but he may not be that explosive, consistently decisive player um, that, that perhaps he was a year and a half, two years ago. Now, I'm not sure if this is the beginning of, of, a, of a shift in his, in, his, um, in his style of play, a shift in his body, a shift in the way that he's playing. But you're right that there have been, I think without any doubt, some, some, some weaknesses, particularly physical ones, to, to his game that, that we saw throughout the course of the season. That said, though, I, I, I sort of do feel like I want to come back and defend him in the sense that I still think he had a really, really great World Cup. And if he hadn't gone into it, into it with Messi-like expectations... I think we'd all be saying, and I would still say, even with those expectations, that he was amongst the five or six best players at the tournament. Yeah, uh, well, he was the best player, according to the people who vote for the goal. Oh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, that's a different 
Yeah, but uh, the uh, Gerard Ullier among the among the guys there, I think, can make that decision. But uh, do you think that maybe uh, part of his the, the lack of impact that he had? Well, you still feel he did make an impact in the latter games, but once Di Maria was out of the equation, he struggled a little bit because Sergio Aguero didn't look fit either, and it seemed to me that uh, apparently Messi loves playing with Aguero more than Tevez, but. Uh, it, it looked as though those two guys last night were both playing their own matches and not really linking up in any meaningful way. It was curious, wasn't it? Because last night I felt that that um, we saw almost almost when we watched Aguero and Messi last night, and and, and I must confess I, I've not I've not seen what other people have said about this. It may be that I'm entirely a lone voice here, but it felt to me last night that that Messi and Aguero almost had what each other lacked. In other words, Aguero came on and ran around a lot. But seemed to be completely out of control, and his, his, his passing was was I thought that abysmal at times. His touch was poor, um, and, and the ball was running away from him. Messi obviously has that touch and has that technique and that and, and that ability to to find the pass and to control the ball almost immediately every time and, and, and so on. But but didn't have, if you like, some of the physical condition that, that Aguero had. And yet I say that knowing that there's a contradiction, which I'm now about to flag up, which is that you're right, Aguero didn't look fully fit too. And this is something that I think goes back to his time um, in Spain. And, and I must confess, I, I think in England, but obviously I've not followed him as close in England as in Spain. But that in Spain, it always seemed to me that when Aguero was right, when he was physically right, when he was tuned in, he was absolutely brilliant. But when he got injured, it tended to take him a very long time to get fit again. And I'm going to use a phrase which I know is a massive exaggeration, but I think there were times when he looked fat, when he looked he looked out of condition, where he looked disinterested, where he looked like he it wasn't it wasn't right for him. And, and I think that, that with Aguero, perhaps the, the rehabilitation process into full fitness is that bit longer than for other players. Of course, we're saying all this in the context of a Messi who also didn't look, didn't look fully fit. But I was, I was much, much more disappointed in a way with Aguero last night than, than I was with Messi. And I, and I think you're right that this is the other kind of context to put into Messi's performances that this is a World Cup where basically it felt like no one else in the midfield could control the ball. Um, Gago, who... who sort of made a difference early in the tournament and then wasn't wasn't included later on. Di Maria, who gave the energy that stretched the game out, that created the space for Messi, that gave Messi someone to give the ball to, um, forwards alongside him. And, and, and I suppose last night, maybe if, if Higuain had, had scored that very, very good chance early on, or possibly even um, if Palacios had scored that chance late on, we might be talking about a very different different judgment of Messi, which on one level is entirely rational because, of course, you're judging him with, with his team winning something. And the other is perhaps a little unfair because because of the misses of others, perhaps he's seen in an almost even more negative light than he might otherwise be. Yeah, I think Aguero is still the same player as you saw in, in Spain, Sid. I mean, uh, he's such a little chunk. Um, I mean, this is a guy who was able to play in the Argentinian league at the edge of... 15, I mean, barely 15 years old. So he's, he's got this really powerful build. But I think last night he maybe was physically fit, but he clearly didn't have any feeling in his feet because his touch, he reminded me of Shane Long. It was, you know, his, his, his touch was, was completely shot. And maybe, maybe that's the bit that, that takes a while to come back from him. But I wondered what the reaction was in Spain, whose World Cup obviously ended several years ago, it, it almost seems like now. So this, this whole thing has been this weird dream happening miles and miles away in a different, in a different time. Um, to, the, uh, to the triumph of Germany, uh, the team that Spain uh, had, had beaten in a final and in a semi-final, but who kind of kept coming back, is, are people in Spain saying, well, um, the Germans are now the top dogs. 
uh, or people saying, what a pity we got off to a bad start because if we'd got into that tournament knockout phase, we would easily have won that tournament. There still are no great teams and there still is nobody who can touch Spain. <laughs> well, I mean, there has been an element of both. And, and I must confess, I, I would I would probably personally agree with both. And, and, and again, that sounds contradictory, but, but I'll explain why. Um, one of them is that I think I think certainly until the quarterfinal stages, I think there was a belief that Spain had really shot themselves in the foot because there were enough teams knocking around that were quite good without being brilliant. And there was a feeling that, you know, if, if Spain had only got it right in those first couple of games, if they had the time, because some teams obviously get better over the course of the tournament, had the time over the tournament to kind of properly focus and to clue in and, and, and to overcome some of those actually, frankly, quite profound flaws that they had this time around, then perhaps they could have competed. This is a team that, that given the, the, the passageway to, to the final, would probably have not faced, obviously would not, if they'd won the group, would not have faced um, Germany until the semi-final. So I think there's a feeling that had they not got the group so badly wrong, they might have reached semi-final. But all of this is, you know, it's the old ifs and ands, and, and Spain were so bad in the group that there's no one doubting that they deserve to get knocked out. But there is a frustration because there was a feeling that there aren't a great size there. Until, until those um, that, that semi-final when when Germany completely destroyed um, Brazil, and I think then that that created a, a slight reevaluation, which I think is a is a rational reevaluation of what Germany had done, and a reevaluation that was then put in the context of the last four years and 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 beyond, indeed, because then you start looking at a Germany team who's, as you say, reached the semi-finals in 2010, um, that Spain had beaten in the final in 2008, and, and that you look at them player by player and, and at the start of the tournament, one of the reasons why I said despite all the problems I still thought Spain were a good side is because you look at them player by player and you think there's not many teams with a, t- with a team as strong as that with that many good players. If you look at the German team you think, wow, almost every player is a, is a really, really good player. They, it functions collectively extremely well. They had good players missing and personally I would argue that over the last 18 months or so in Europe, in Europe at least, Marco Royce for me has been the most exciting player to watch the player I've most enjoyed watching as someone who admittedly doesn't follow German football all the time. Um, and I think there is now a recognition in Spain that Germany have emerged as, as the strong side because they've got a bit of everything. They've got a bit, bit, of the, bit of the touch that Spain have got, but they've got the physique perhaps that Spain haven't got. They've got the athleticism. They've got the organization. They appear to have the, the, the focus and the hunger, which, who knows, might now be diminished by winning the World Cup. So I think, I think we've gone from a situation in which people in Spain thought, we've really, really messed this up because this actually could have opened up for us to a situation in which Spain now look at Germany and go, ooh, we've got some pretty serious opponents now. Sid, just lastly, do you think the top brass in Barcelona will be watching that match and saying that Javier Mascarano must never play in central defence again? I must admit, the, the last two or three games of Javier Mascherano made me think that the last two years of Barcelona were, were not just a mistake, but were negligent. Were absolutely negligent. And it's not that Mascherano necessarily always played badly at centre-back, because I personally am one of those people who defended the idea of Mascherano at centre-back in that, in that season with Pep Guardiola, when I thought he played extremely well because he had the speed to cover when they were playing a very high line so he could come across and, 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 and sweep up behind everyone else. But when it became a job of, of, of more orthodox defending, and Mascherano himself kept saying that he wasn't playing well, and then he goes back to the field and plays brilliantly. Now, admittedly, the counter-argument is Barcelona have got Busquets. Where would you have played him? But in the last couple of years, as Barcelona have slightly disintegrated, Mascherano Busquets would have been really important backup this year. I would even have played the way he's played this World Cup, at least. Mascherano ahead of Busquets. 
And the reason why I say it's negligent, it's not just that they make the mistake of putting Mascherano in there, but you were using that as an excuse not to buy defenders, and it was screaming them in the face that they had to buy defenders. And for what it's worth, I think this season that is exactly what we will see. Mascherano back in midfield, Luis Enrique, who has told him that that's where he would like him to play. And that is why the same Javier Mascherano, who just before the end of the season said, this may well be the end for lots of us, not lots of the players, lots of us, is now staying, and I think it's because he will play in midfield with Sergio Busquets. Sid, great to talk to you. Thank you. My pleasure. We've got a tweet in here, Ken, um, from Andy at Second Captains, just on something we were talking about there, actually, but I guess it crystallised it fully. Ask Ken if Aguero, Messi and Di Maria had been fully fit in that final with Argentina have won. Well, I think it would have been a pretty different game, all right. I mean, even if Lovetsy had been fully fit, we can't still quite work out what happened with Lovetsy. And because I assume that when he went off injured, that it had been, well, I'm sorry, I assume when he went off at half time that it was because he was injured. But it, it seemed to be that wasn't that was wasn't what Sabella was saying last night. He said they wanted to be more attacking, and then there was talk that maybe he was really exhausted because he played the whole match and he put so much into the first 45 minutes. But you know, I thought that was a, a little bit strange. Um, Argentina didn't have too many players who I think were at, at the peak of their powers. And Germany actually did. Maybe this was the big advantage for Germany of Bayern Munich winning the league um, way back in March, that it sort of turned the rest of the league into a little bit of a, you know, not just for the Bayern players, but for the Dortmund players too, um, a bit of a stroll. And, and maybe they were able to just kind of start thinking about the World Cup a little earlier than they they usually would have. Whereas a lot of these Argenti- Argentina players... Um, you know, were, were, were there right, right until the very end. Um, if they'd all been fit, oh, I don't know. I mean, I still think Germany were a better team. Uh, and if they'd been fit, they would have been able to bring to bear what you would have said at the start of the tournament. You know, Argentina have got this attacking players, the likes of which nobody else in this tournament has. And we haven't really seen that uh, in the tournament. If they, I mean, if there's a lot of things. I mean, if, if Higuain scores his goal in the first minute, Argentina maybe win. All these one-legged Argentines are walking walking around with the World Cup now, um, you know. So, so there's a lot of ifs and buts. Yeah, I, one thing in relation to Lavezzi, um, if you, I don't know if you saw the the TV coverage of the penalty shootout against the Netherlands, but Lavezzi looked like he was about to be physically sick during it, sitting on the bench. Uh, and then when I saw him in the tunnel before the game last night, and again, maybe you didn't see this, he looked like the most haunted man I've ever seen before a football game. And when I saw him going off at halftime, like there's nothing probably more annoying than amateur psychologists uh, talking about this, but I've, I, I immediately said, that guy just completely froze in a World Cup final, that he just, he just couldn't handle it at all. Um, now I don't know if, if uh, there was any talk oh, of that I, in the. I thought he was their best player. I thought I thought he was doing really well. Um, mind you, uh, I don't know. Maybe I was getting them mixed up. Uh, maybe Messi was having a great game, and I just kept mixing the two of them up. <laughs> it looked to me as though Lavezzi was kind of tearing past players and was showing a lot of pace. And um, you know, he, you know, he, I thought he, I thought he'd done well. But you know, uh, who knows? Uh, maybe maybe I got that one wrong. Ken, you got some post-match reaction last night in the stadium at the Maracanã. Yes, I uh, talked um, for the last time in this World Cup, Owen, to uh, Tim Vickery. Tim, uh, I heard some Argentine journalists uh, talking about this and they were saying Messi failed. Well, what do you think happened? That's a bit harsh, isn't it? I mean, he's he's, he's someone who uh, has been on nowhere near 100% through the tournament. Like the rest of 
Argentina's attacking stars. And, and bearing that in mind, they gave us much more of a game than I think most of us had expected today and could easily might be pushing it a little bit to say could easily won it have won it but certainly you could say could easily have scored the first goal and they had plenty of chances to score that first goal you'd imagine there'd be a few players in that Argentina Argentina squad who might be having sleepless nights tonight and obviously Gonzalo Higuain for the one that he missed in the first half Rodrigo Palacio perhaps and Messi for the one at the start of the second half that he just rolled across agonisingly wide of the far post but to call this failure I think is is almost ludicrously manically depressive because had they won they'd have let's imagine that one of those chances had gone in and Germany hadn't got a goal they proclaimed him they would have proclaimed him as a god you know not up there with Maradona perhaps but you know so fair enough there's a lot of emotion but we're neutrals which gives us the, the, the luxury of being able to step back and, and, and say that failure for what Messi has done in, in, in this competition would be a, a ludicrous term. Perhaps the golden boot, the golden whatever it is. Golden ball, another golden ball. Yeah, perhaps that's taking things too far the other way. But in every game, with the exception of this one, I suppose, you know, maybe with the exception of Holland as well, there's been something and there's been some magic. When he nearly set up a great goal for Maxi Rodriguez at the end of the Holland game um, and nearly scored a, the, the goal today there were, there were a couple of flashes but anyway to see it in, in, in purely individualistic terms I think is a, is a, is a flawed concept, conception from the start yeah it's wrong but I mean the, the case of Messi is, is interesting just because of his um, this sort of apparent torpor which has been the case throughout the tournament and, and more so as, it, as it's gone on I mean do you think there's, there's a problem here is it, are we looking at a guy who's Who's really at the at the limit of his physical reserves? That have, have, has club football taken too much out of him? I, I think it. We'll have to watch him next season, but it, there could well be something in it. The the best years of Pele were around the 62, 63, maybe sixty four mark when he's early twenties. I know we, we always have this idea that great players come into their prime around the age that Messi is now, around around the twenty seven mark. That wasn't true with Pelé. After that, Pelé bulked up a little bit, lost some of his mobility, and became a player more of flashes of, of, of moments. So perhaps something is something similar has, has happened to Messi. And it's, it's been very clear watching him. There, there have been times when you know, he's, he's, been, he's been so static and all kind of wandering around a little bit with the air of a uh, bored secretary waiting for the Monday morning bus. But it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he knows that he has to dose himself. He knows that he's, he's got the capacity to do it, to go maybe three or four times in a game. And he, he, can't do, he can't do it anymore. He's unlikely to be able to do it anymore in four years' time. And that is Argentina's tragedy. Mm. That the supporting cast in four years' time might not be as good as this one theoretically was, was supposed to be. Whereas the German team, I guess a lot of them can still play in four years' time. And it was a team that's really bursting with energy. You can see that. Um, but is it, a, is it a great team? It's a great achievement. So I have to, I have to think, yes, it is. Um, Oliver Bierhoff, their former striker, their general manager, was here having a kind of recce during the, uh, the Confederations Cup. And he came to the conclusion that it would be almost impossible, very, very hard for a European side to win Ooh. in these conditions. That was before the draw. 
You look at the draw that Germany got. Got the hardest possible conditions. The hardest possible conditions and difficult group, group opponents. They had three games in the northeast. One was a four o'clock kickoff. The other two were were one o'clock kickoffs. There are no big domestic games played at one o'clock. Certainly not in the northeast. It's unthinkable. Perhaps got a little bit lucky with a tropical downpour in the last of them against the states. But after that, they've then got to go right down the other end of the country to Porto Alegre, where winter bites hard. No wonder they had a flu epidemic. And then they got bang, bang, bang. They got France, who, by general consensus, had been the most impressive of the European sides. Then they got the two South American superpowers in South America. No, they really have scaled Everest the, 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 uh, the hard way. Um, so I, I can't deny I'm great. I think it's one of the great World Cup victories. Yeah. Um, the Argentine, they seem to be very popular winners also with the home crowd who <laughs> it was a weird three-way uh, crowd in that Argentina, uh, Germany and uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend uh, German allies uh, from Brazil and, and I kind of got the impression at the end of it that if there was some taunting of Argentinians going on by Brazilian fans maybe uh, it was well deserved the Argentines had certainly had their fun but that's it I suppose what goes around comes around you know the, they've, uh, the, Argent, the Argentines have have enjoyed themselves hugely over the last couple of days. A lot of counting up to seven. And uh, well, Brazil can now hit back with um, the fact that seven is still an operative number. But only it's, divide, it's still divided five to Brazil and two to Argentina. So, uh, you know, seven works both ways now. Just very lastly, Tim, I'm sure it's been an amazing uh, personal professional experience for you covering this uh, World Cup in the land. Uh, you've made your home, sir. I mean... What, what, <laughs> I'm asking you for a, a pat verdict here, Jim. Is, can you give me a 30-second pat verdict on the 2014 World Cup? That's what I've asked you to do. Nastrovia, we go to Russia now. Um, yeah, it's, it's been the World Cup, which is uh, it's been, not a more than a World Cup. It's a world turned upside down. And before this tournament, Brazilians were very, very confident that they were going to finally win in front of their own, own fans and very, very worried that the organisational chaos would make them look stupid in the eyes of the world. Mm. What has happened? Right, there have been problems here and there, but nothing to really stain the uh, the, the memory of a of, 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 of a fine tournament. And the humiliation and the shame has come on the field. So it's been a world turned upside down. I think it's been a, a good tournament. I still don't think it's anything like a patch on 1986. And the problem of players being tired at the end of, of the European season is clearly a problem. And it's one thing that makes the idea of a World Cup held in, in the European winter suddenly seem a little bit more attractive to my eyes. Now, I know that Qatar, the Qatar thing probably could be FIFA's greatest folly, but the idea of a tournament staged at that time of year suddenly doesn't seem so unattractive because I think we've got more chance of seeing the best players operating at somewhere, somewhere, somewhere closer to the best of their ability. Jim Vickery, thanks for me. It's great. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, Ken, I not too many people have been... Uh... There's a bit of cheer for Qatar there for the first time. Christmas maybe a number cheer. Of Christmas cheer for Qatar there ahead of their Winter World Cup. Um, Tim Vickery is flying the flag. Yeah, uh, well, you know, it, it's, it, is, it is one um, argument. I mean, this is a time when most of the players are in more or less kind of peak fitness. Um, and, and maybe you'd have less of these sort of zombies shuffling around that we sort of tend to see at the World Cup. Although, you know, the, I thought... Uh, I thought for every kind of Ronaldo um, or, you know, Di Maria or player who, who kind of turned up and wasn't quite able to to be the maximum they could be, there was plenty of players who I think did really well. I mean, Marion Robin, for instance, you know, he had a, he had a long enough season and uh, it didn't seem to stop him. So, 
I don't know. I'm sure even if, if it was a if it was a winter World Cup, there'd be players who'd say, "Well, I usually have a break at this time of the season. I can't get used to playing football at this time." And you know, it's it's hard to know. Last word on Messi because I did want to ask about Germany before we wrap up here, Ken. Um, he wa- <laughs> Alex Abella was remarkably. Uh, central I think to the team talk at full time it looked as though Mascarano actually was trying to get in there and Sabella's like no this is my moment screw you Mascarano this is full time I'm the manager I'm going to give this team talk they're all crouched down they tend to crouch down quite a lot in those yeah. huddles and, and the guy who's doing. giving the speech is like more or less crouching on the ground like a mouse staring <laughs> yeah. up the faces of all this circle of faces looking down at him yeah and Mascarano was doing that but not getting the words out because Sabella suddenly t- decided he was the boss, right? And then you could see, I was thinking, where's Messi in this? And you see then the, the shot, uh, Messi's just at the very outside of the frame. Yeah. He, he's almost sort of dragged into it. So he stands there for 10 seconds. Sabella's going on and on and on and on and on. And after a while, Messi just says, I oh, forget about this, walks off in the middle of the team talk. Now, yeah, I don't know if that, that's, that's bad form. No, it, 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 we, we, we let Leo Messi you know, away with, as though we're going to punish him in some way. But we give him quite a free reign. Ah, he's messy. But if Cristiano Ronaldo had done that, you'd be saying, oh, look at Ronaldo, the egotist, all those kind of things. I thought that's what I saw, all right, last night, because I was looking at it, because I, I look at these Argentine, uh, Argentine huddles, um, and there have been so many of them during the tournament, because they keep going, to, keep going to extra time all the time and having penalty kicks. And so they've done so many of these huddles. And Mascherano does most of the talking. Sabella has done a good bit, uh, and he and he does um, he does tend to uh, put a lot uh, into them. You know, it's not like this unbelievably boring uh, persona that he adopts in press conferences. You know, the, he's he's shown a lot of passion, all that kind of thing. And Messi, uh, as far as I can see, never says anything. Ne- never says anything in them. Um, it, that's not strictly true because I ha- there is at least one piece of footage of Lionel Messi doing a bit of talking in one of these things. It was from one of those overhead cameras. Maybe the problem is because of the way they do them, Messi's right down the bottom of the scrum and you literally can't see him. So maybe he's down there doing it, doing it in every uh, talk. But yeah, I thought I, I thought I had seen that. Is it? And then they, they kind of break up anyway, and and you're going, hmm, I'm not sure if I really saw that. So I'm glad, Owen, that you confirm my uh, suspicion that Messi had not. Uh, had not really bothered. Oh, no, he, he I mean, clearly he walked away during yeah, yeah. I think it was at the exact moment that Alex Sabella asked him to win it for him. Uh, yeah. I think that was... Well, the thing I is, I saw some there. quotes from Messi last night in which he said, I like Sabella. And usually, um, if a player says that, uh, if a player likes a manager, he usually doesn't feel the need to point it out in an interview like that. So, I don't know. Make, make of that what you will. I mean, I'm not, I suppose what I'm saying here is a charter for, well, whatever a player says, believe the opposite. We're in opposite land now. Uh, you know, that's not necessarily it. But oftentimes, um, if there is genuine affection or respect between a player and a manager, they don't need to go pointing it out. You mentioned that this is a planned World Cup from Germany, and I take the point, but does that veer towards the idea of this efficient German machine when they could have planned to do it in a different way, but the plan that they put in place 10 or 15 years ago, albeit with all the financial resources that they have, at least led to a team that played pretty entertaining football. They could have gone another way maybe 10 years ago. But that's, I mean, that's the German, the German way is to, uh, is best practice. You know, they're, they're a forward-looking, um, scientifically-minded people. If, if, I, if, I, if you permit me to, to generalize wildly yeah, yeah. And, to, and to create stereotypes of, um, of the German national character, Germany, a, a country that sweeps from the Alps to the Baltic and encompasses 
um, people of many different um, backgrounds, cultures, and mentalities. But if we can block these 80 million Germans together into one group and stick a label on them, we can say that they're forward-thinking people. <laughs> it's the greatest industrial country in the world because it's always looking, you know, German people who run industry are always looking to see, okay, what are they doing elsewhere? What works? Should we adopt it here? And you can see the same pattern in terms of what has happened with their football team. They've not, they haven't been proud. They haven't been inward looking and said, well, we in Germany know how to do things. We've always, we've won all these World Cups and therefore what we're going to do is play with a Libero like Franz Beckenbauer and a, and a couple of mean guys in midfield like Lothar Mateus. And, you know, they haven't done that at all. They've, they've kind of almost thrown it out. They said, all right, who are the teams that are that are good at the moment? You know, who, who are the teams that play the kind of football we'd like to see Germany playing? And they really, uh, there was a question to jo Joachim Löw on the pre-match press conference from a Dutch journalist. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Ken, I'm, I'm, I'm preempting your question here. I know the one you're talking about, but do tell. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> did you see this? Sorry, okay. The guy that the Dutch journalist said, uh, um, a question in English, please. Um, is it true that you essentially just copied uh, passing football from Holland, uh, that really, in a way, um, the Dutch can take a lot of credit for Germany's success? And Love kind of um, smiled thinly at this and then said, uh, yeah, pretty much, uh, that's, that's what we did. We, uh, we said, yeah, Holland seemed to play quite good football. Let's, let's figure out what they're doing there, how they're, teaching, um, how they're teaching young players how to do that there, and let's just do it here because it's something that seems to work. And it's not just that that they did. I mean, they also, for instance, one thing that Holland and Germany share in common is if you look at the performance data from the World Cup, all of the uh, physical uh, performance statistic tables are all topped by Dutch and German players um, in terms of the, you know, the running, the sprinting, all that kind of stuff. You know, the what you, what you would blank blanket under the term work rate, um, work rate. Dutch and German fitness. Dutch and German. Uh, the Dutch and German squads were by far the two fittest squads at the World Cup. They were the ones who came here with the best, uh, with the fittest teams, and uh, they seem to have taken a lot of that from the Americans. Um, when Jurgen Klinsmann was the manager, he brought in a bunch of American fitness trainers, and you know they've been using this type of, uh, you know, they've been, they've been essentially using insights that they took from Americans. You know, where, where I guess fitness training across a whole range of sports was in excess of where it was in, in most European countries, you know, 10 years ago. So this is what they've done. They've said, okay, a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B, let's see uh, what works together and then mix it together with the fact that we in Germany can put a plan together better than anybody else. We've got all these uh, people out there who play football and, you know, historically we've been pretty good anyway. We, you know, getting it done whatever way. So if we can systematically um, start to work and adopt best practice across all these uh, areas that'll skew the odds in our favor you can't say that we're going to win a world cup but we can systematically skew the odds in favor of us winning world cup and eventually uh, eventually it comes to pass i mean not every country will be able to do it you know germany is, is maybe not many countries have won the world cup is is, is is spain the smallest uruguay is obviously the smallest country to do it but in a completely different era spain is the smallest country to do it um, really in, in, the, in the fully professional era around the world. Um, and maybe there is a minimum size of a country that can, 
that can manage it. Germany obviously is, is a country that can, and um, the way that they've been, uh, the way that they've sorted themselves out in recent years, you'd expect them to be uh, to continue to be the kind of country that will. There was also a third place playoff over the weekend, and that's probably all we need to say about the third place playoff over the weekend. We're, we're going to take the Louis van Gaal approach here, and I don't think we should call for the abolition of it, but I don't think we should be spending too much time on it because we do have to let you catch your flight, Ken. And um, I've got to ask you how much you enjoyed the World Cup because we're looking forward to having you back here. But was this your favourite one? Oh, I think so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was incredible. Uh, I mean, a lot of great games. Um, a lot of, you know, from my personal point of view, going to see interesting places, the kind of place. I mean, I don't know if I'm ever going to be in Manaus again. I may never go to the rainforest again. I always dreamed of going to the rainforest, though. Mm-hmm. I'm a great lover of nature programs and television. I used to sit with my grandmother watching. She said, there's a nature program on. Let's sit and watch the nature. And we watched the glistening slugs and frogs, toads, snakes, lizards, the Amazon jungle mm-hmm. crawling around in the slime. And I always thought, one day I'd like to go to that place. Uh, I remember watching uh, Jeremy Irons and the mission. Uh, Jeremy Irons and Robert De Niro bringing Christianity to the Guarani Indians. Uh, fighting against the machinations of the um, the cynical and uh, manipulative political classes back in Portugal, uh, and obviously it all went badly. It ended up a bit a bit of a Euro 2012 for Ireland scene for the Guarani and Jeremy Irons, but uh, great film, uh, great scenery, great soundtrack, Ken. Sorry, great soundtrack as well. Of course, let's not forget that Ennio Morricone. Wonderful Ennio Morricone soundtrack. Um, yeah, so I was so that was uh, that was. Uh, Great. And, you know, I must, the one regret I have is that I didn't get as much sun as I would have liked. Um, we've got to remember that it's Southern Hemisphere winter here. Um, and that doesn't mean that the weather is bad. I mean, in the northeast of Brazil, it's still pretty much 30 degrees most days. Um, but it doesn't mean the sun goes down early. And I suppose because it's close to the equator, that sort of happens anyway. But with all that uh, work I was doing out here on trying to trying to communicate the little piece of the World Cup I was seeing. Um, it meant that I, I just oftentimes wasn't able to get out there and lie in the sun while the sun was high in the sky. And if there is a regret from this World Cup, it's that too often I, I got out there after the heat had already broken in the day. But I suppose as regrets go on, it's not that big a regret. Thanks for listening to all of our World Cup podcasts. And thanks for the feedback. A lot of people have been getting in touch on Twitter and elsewhere. It's been great fun. I have to say, Murph, being in here every day and... Uh, reacting to football matches. Yeah, it, it is on, but I just want my Kenny home. Oh, well, my Kenny's on the way home. Don't you okay. worry. He's about to get a flight now. And okay. He'll be fine. We'll have another show out later on today. That's Monday, featuring more reaction, um, particularly from the Argentinian side, to last night's World Cup final. Ken will be back in studio later in the week. Thank you, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kenny. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Have a safe flight. And thank you, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk to everyone uh, very soon. Thanks for listening. You can see the level of expectancy is for the Coach, this is the game you wanted a victory, boy. It didn't happen. What happened? Oh, Pepe's such an idiot. A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. <laughs> <laughs> the neighbor was sexy, will take that penalty.
heat is fucking dreadful. Sorry, yeah. we're not we're on air. Oh, we're not awake. We are. Oh. Well, I apologize for that, but obviously, it didn't exactly do it. All right. Second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. <laughs>